You're listening to The Enlightenment Meditations. Hey guys, thank you so much as always for listening. This is a special little thing that I'm very excited to share with you. I get a lot of people asking me about meditation more and more and more, and they ask, do I do meditations? What meditations do I recommend, et cetera, et cetera. Now, there are many different meditations out there that you can try, and I have done dozens of them over the years myself. There are body mindfulness meditations, some people love doing Vipassana meditation, Insight Timers, a great resource for many different types of meditations. There's mantra meditations, there's breathing meditations, there's just, you name it, there's something out there for pretty much everyone when it comes to this subject. But what I now do myself is no longer the practices that I used to do before. And I'm going to share what these two meditations that I've pretty much invented in my own life experience that keep me most entertained and feel most fun for me. So the other ones, there's nothing wrong with the ones I've done in the past. And if you're loving something and you have a strong meditation practice that's working for you right now, go for it. Do it as often as you feel like it. Or if you wanna try to change it up, you wanna do something new or you wanna do something different, feel free to give these a try as well. And for anyone that's new to meditation, what I'm going to share may be of interest to you too. Maybe this is a way for you to get started. It doesn't mean you have to do this for the rest of your life. It's just something you can do right now as long as it feels fun and fulfilling to you. But before I get to those very simple meditations, you might be wondering how long and how often do I recommend doing meditation? My answer is as often as you feel like it. Sure, you can do those, you know, five, 10, 15 minute morning meditations that many people do and they could put on a timer or do this specific guided meditation that works for them. So that is an option for you and you can choose to do that. I've done that for many years of my life as well. It's no longer the path that I choose to take now, but it's something that I did and served me really well. So feel free to do that if you want to, or you can do it a different way if that pleases you as well. You can do this any way you want. So what I currently do are these very mini meditations, and I'm now, I have a really cute new name for them. There's two of them, and I'm calling them Enlightenment Meditations, not Enlightenment Enlightenment is that enlightenment, if I just say it fully, is the word you hear Eckhart Tolle talk a lot about. You hear it in terms of like a really high super Jedi status of spirituality or higher consciousness, that more permanent, all pervasive state of enlightenment. I'm going to give you some quotes from Eckhart Tolle's The Power of Now that help explain this from someone who has a more permanent, all pervasive experience of this state. But I'm also going to share with you the two experiences I have spontaneously had in my own life that have given me a taste, an enlightenment if you will, a little mint. You know, when you take a mint, like an Altoid or one of those really juicy, awesome ones after dinner mints, you know, those little mints, it's like they're little fresh, refreshing boosts of not really just energy, but also that minty, fresh taste. It's a different experience. It doesn't last forever when you take a mint. It's minty for a while and then it goes away. Well, these meditations, these little enlightened mints are little tastes. First, I'm gonna share the ones that spontaneously came for me, and then I'm gonna share how you can 
create that experience, that enlightenment taste of enlightenment, the fuller experience, for yourself whenever you want, as often as you want. And no, you don't have to do them for five to 15 minutes a day in the morning. You can do them for a breath, a minute, two minutes, or 15 minutes, an hour, you name it. It's totally up to you. But these are the fun ways that I am doing two things. And one is gonna do the really big focus of going specifically most tailored to going beyond the mind. And the other one is gonna be about going beyond the body. Because these are the two aspects of the more all-pervasive stage of enlightenment that, for example, Eckhart Tolle is talking and living from. So I'm gonna give you some quotes by him and then I'm gonna break this down because what I find is that the language around these subjects is really difficult for Eckhart Tolle or any spiritual teacher for that matter. Buddha, Jesus, they're all trying to teach us like, what it is if you were to have an orgasm and then try to explain what an orgasm feels like to an alien that's never had a human body before and they've never had an orgasm before, how would you explain that to them? That's a really difficult thing to do. You'll have to use words and you'll have to use things that are like it but aren't really it, right? Once you've had an orgasm, it's very different than trying to describe it or conceptualize it because it's a physical, visceral experience. Well, Eckhart, Jesus, Buddha, insert name of enlightened person here, is trying to do something that's very difficult to do because most humans haven't had a taste of that. They haven't had the enlightenment, the little taste, or the enlightenment, the all-pervasive experience, where that becomes the living reality of who they are. So let's get into this. So if I'm looking at one of my very favorite books right now, The Power of Now by Eckhart Tolle, in my paper copy, it is 109, which I can't say that in every print edition, you'll find this on page 109, but let me read you a little bit about what Eckhart's talking about when it comes to this experience of enlightenment, okay? So he says, if you take your attention deeply into the inner body, you may reach this point. The singularity where the world dissolves into the unmanifested and the unmanifested takes on form as the energy stream of chi, which then becomes the world. This is the point of birth and death. When your consciousness is directed outward, mind and world arise. When it's directed inward, it realizes its own source and returns home into the unmanifested. Now skipping ahead, it says... Now let your spiritual practice be this. As you go about your life, don't give 100% of your attention to the external world and to your mind. Keep some within. Skipping ahead, it says, you become a bridge between the unmanifested and the manifested, between God and the world. This is the state of connectedness with the source that we call enlightenment. So let me restate that part. You become a bridge between the unmanifested and the manifested, between God and the world. This is the state of connectedness with the source that we call enlightenment. So what Eckhart, and he's the person, not Jess Lively. Jess Lively is still in the body, still, I've had some enlightenments over my time, which I'll get into in a second, but I'm not the, you know, end-all, be-all source of enlightenment. I'm really learning from someone that's there. But I can tell you guys, and I can explain this, and I think a really, really helpful way that breaks it down. So when I reread Eckhart's books, I actually write all over them. And what I write are the terms and experiences that I understand this material through, and I hope to help you do so as well. 
Okay, so he says, it's the state of connectedness with the source that we call enlightenment. Okay, so let's break down what is enlightenment as he's describing. He's saying it's connectedness with the source. Well, what the heck is that, right? Well, let me tell you the two experiences of enlightenments, the little tastes of enlightenment that I have had in my life. They were spontaneously states that arose. I did not choose or prepare for them. It wasn't because I meditated per se, or expected to have them. They just happened to me. They were really wonderful, and I'll tell you how they happened and what I experienced, and then I'm gonna get into how you can do this and start creating this experience for yourself in your own enlightenment meditation practice. So experience number one was about two years ago now. I was in a cafe in Sydney, and while I was there, I was doing the inner voice writing exercise that I always like to recommend to people. You've probably heard me share it if you listen to The Lively Show at all. JessLively.com slash intuition is where you can go find out how you can do this yourself. But basically what I have learned to do and I've done for many years since my mid-20s, so almost a decade now, eight or nine years in this practice, I have been writing questions that I have from my ego mind to my inner voice. I used to call it intuition. I've called it Joe. I've called it many things over the years on the show. I don't care what the heck it is. I just know I hear a great wise answer when I write down the question that I have. And then I listen from my gut or my heart. I pay attention to the place below my neck, basically. I listen for words and answers, and then I write down what I hear. And I go back and forth now. Dozens, if not hundreds or thousands of people have done this now. It's amazing. I do it with people in the coaching sessions on season five in the Lively Show. So if you want to see other people do it, you can go there or you can go to the Intuition Intensive, which is a product that I have. It's got many, many hours of me doing this with many different people. So you can see other people do it in the hot seat one after another. If that's interesting, that's over at JessLively.com shop. But the big point here is I was in Sydney and this time that I was writing to my inner voice, I did something different that I had never done before that point. Instead of writing question, answer, question, answer, question, answer between the mind and then the intuition or inner voice and going back and forth, I just listened. So I wrote the next word and the next word and the next word that I was hearing come through me. And as I did so, I ended up pouring about a page and a half of content or text onto the piece of paper that I was writing on in the cafe. And after I was done listening, now at that point, I had never listened for so long, ever. I had never done that. But when I did, it was interesting to just kind of give myself that space to listen for so long. And staying in that stillness, which you do when you're in that state, is you're listening, you're not thinking, right? So you think when you ask the question, but then you listen to hear the answer. Well, this is a really prolonged period of listening for me. This is a really prolonged period of my mind not being active in the ways it was before. And when I stopped writing and I stopped hearing words or I decided to stop doing that activity, the mind did not stir back up again. It stayed quiet, like silent. Nothing happened. It was bizarre. I'd never experienced anything like that in my life to that point. I literally thought it was like an earthquake, a tsunami hit. I thought some major disaster happened because it was so 
different than any experience I'd ever had before. I immediately looked up. I was shocked. I was startled, I guess would be the best way to look at it. I was just completely taken aback. And I looked around the cafe and I'm like, what's going on? Like, this is like Armageddon or something like the world's ending. This is not like any experience of the world I've ever had. And everybody's still, you know, serving coffee and drinking and talking and nothing else happened for them. But the world as I knew it totally changed. And it was bizarre. It was like I'd had a radio station with music playing in my entire life and it was finally shut off. And I didn't even know it was playing because it was so all pervasive. I'd never known anything different. I never knew anything other than that. And so I remember going to the bathroom. I was like, what do I, I like, there was like this like confusion about this state of being. And while it was so quiet, eventually on the very tiniest level, like not at level, I didn't know it was loud until it was off. But then once it was off at like, the subtlest level, the most quietest tone, nothing like I'd ever heard before, but like at the quietest level that was just barely perceptible, I hear a few thoughts flash through my mind, which was so interesting to see the mind at such a quieted level and actually touching into a such a no mind space. I remember thinking as I went to the bathroom, I was like, I remember the little voice at the quietest level going, what do you do when you have no thought? So I just listened to the air conditioner. And then I came back into the cafe and I was like, all right. I remembered at the tiniest level I'd ever thought before, the smallest, quietest tone. I remember two thoughts crossing my mind. One was I had planned to go buy a nail polish after the cafe. And I remember asking myself at the tiniest possible level, because the all pervasiveness of the silence was still totally the major field of my awareness. But the little voice was questioning in this state I'm, you know, in or experiencing, does it matter what color my nails are if I'm not having any thought? Like what part of me, the thinking is the part that prefers the nail color. It was so funny. I was like, do I need to buy the nail polish? Like, does it matter what color my nails are without thought or the identity of this ego driver's license me? I was like, does it matter? Jess Lively likes pink nails, but does the thoughtlessness, like, does it even care what kind of nails it has? And I also remember I was going to be booking some Airbnbs at that time because I was still in the full traveling mode at the time. And I remember thinking, does it matter where I stay? Like, could I now, Jess Lively, the driver's license ego me, really likes beautiful places and spaces, but like without any thought at all crossing the mind, does it matter? It was so trippy. But anyways, when Eckhart in the entire book of The Power of Now talks about going to states of no mind or transcending and no longer identifying solely with just the ego part of us, the Jess Lively driver's license part, that was the experience I had. I got to touch into that. And it wasn't until I had that experience that I could really understand that even attachments that I thought about, like preferences of nail color polish or liking to stay in beautiful places, like once the thought mechanism was removed or turned down to like the most infinitesimal level, it could tell that even those things that my mind clung to really didn't matter. It was just this interesting thing. And it was only once the mind slowly regained over the next hours in the days past that point that there was, you know, the the personality of Jess reemerged. And of course, still liked pink nails and still liked staying in pretty places. But that was a moment of real physical, visceral experience of no mind. 
And that's a very big part of this experience of enlightenment that he talks about and actually heals a lot of dramatic, insane things that we create through the mind is to go beyond itself. So that's one thing. And I've got a little enlightenment to help you as well tap into that in a tiny way in your life right now. So I'll get to that in a second. And the other aspect that Eckhart talks about, that connectedness with the source of all things, the unmanifested, all that stuff he calls the unmanifested, the source, God, all those words. I also had an experience of that, and that was much more recently. That was the experience I had while I was in London recently, and a friend of mine was doing Reiki on me. Now, this is not to send everybody to a Reiki specialist so that they have this experience, because I've done many Reiki sessions before and never had this experience, so I don't think it's necessary to do Reiki. I don't think it's the only way you get there. It's just where it happened for me at that point in time. It wasn't like if I did Reiki again, I would necessarily necessarily get anywhere close to that same state, but it did arise in that moment. And in that moment, I was laying on the bed as my friend was doing this facial and Reiki session for me. And all of a sudden, in an instant, it was a moment. I can't tell you exactly how much physical time passed, but it was a shift in perception that was very profound. Even if it wasn't very physically time long, it completely tapped me into when Eckhart's talking about the connectedness with the source being what we call enlightenment. What I can say to be, you know, explaining my experience of it the best I can is that as I lay there all of a sudden, just peacefully laying there, not necessarily even doing any sort of type of breathing or meditation, I'm just laying there peacefully. All of a sudden, my body, as you would feel it, you know how you kind of feel like you're sitting in a body right now? You have some awareness that you're a body and that you're sitting or walking and there's like the ground if you're walking or you've got the chair that you're sitting on, whatever you're sitting on. You have this this awareness of your body because it's not feeling like the ground or feeling like the chair or feeling like the bed, whatever it is that you're sitting on. So while I was laying there, all of a sudden, that feeling of I have a body one matched, I wouldn't say it went away, it matched the feeling of the bed and the feeling of the air around me and the feeling of the dresser on the other side of the room. Does that make sense? So my feeling that I feel and I know as my body matched the feeling of the bed It matched the feeling of the air around me, the space, the emptiness we think is in the room, and the dresser on the other side of the room. It matched everything in an instant, not a very long time, just like an orgasm. It's not a very long time, but it's a very profound experience. And once you have it, you're like, oh, this is a physical experience. It's not a mental concept. It's a physical experience. Once I had that physical experience, if I wanted to put a little bit of trying to explain it in maybe a scientific way, I could say the vibration of my cells match the quantum field or my perception of my awareness. Obviously, my cells didn't evaporate, so maybe that's not the best way to describe it. But my consciousness, my awareness matched. So the body was still the body. I didn't fall into pieces, you know, when Zuli was doing this session with me. But I could say that I felt that my awareness became the space between all things. So if you go into quantum mechanics, which is a fascinating study, 
it's so interesting because you zoom into an atom in between the atoms there's mostly empty space so in between the electrons and the protons there's to give you a sense of the emptiness of the atoms if you had an the nucleus of the atom the size of a basketball the nearest electron if the nucleus was the size of a basketball so we're trying to blow this up to human scale so we can understand this in our daily lives the electrons 22 miles away and in between the 22 miles between the basketball and the nearest electron that's empty space so mostly every single freaking thing on this planet universe you name it is emptiness because in each of the atoms most of its emptiness what my consciousness felt and tapped into tapped into is the word that i'm hearing and feeling was that emptiness now, in a lot of Joe Dispenza work and all the kind of a science-y stuff that's emerging that's really cool around consciousness, the quantum field, or Lynn McTaggart did a whole book on the, the concept of the quantum field. That's what I believe he's calling, Eckhart's calling, the unmanifested, the source of all things. That's what he's speaking to. Now, that is an aspect, but also a different experience too, or an additional experience beyond just not being the mind. Because when I was in the cafe, I was still in the body. It wasn't like my body felt like it dissolved and it touched, the, you know, my consciousness didn't touch the space between all things, that unmanifested, that source. It didn't touch the quantum field. It just, the mind stopped. But in this other experience, my mind was still... I mean, not pervasively quieted the way it was at the cafe, but in that instant, my body, it didn't dissolve literally, but my consciousness merged with something other than the body. It merged with what is the emptiness between the air and the bed and my body, which is what most things really are. It's this emptiness, this source, this quantum field, this unmanifested. They're all just trying to describe the space between all things. So those are my enlightenment experiences. What I loved about the second one was it was about going beyond the body. So I no longer had the identity attachment to the body in that instant. Because in that instant, the physical feeling of my body was no different than the physical feeling of the bed or the air or Zulie was in the room or the dresser or any of the stuff because I was feeling the space between everything and all that is. I was matching what is essentially making up everything. And I loved that experience. I cherished that experience because then I understood physically what they're trying to say when they talk about unity and they talk about one life and they talk about how we're all connected. <laughs> Before that, I kind of had a concept of like all humans are equal and I didn't really understand how all humans could be the same, but I didn't really understand that really until I felt that space between all things thing, that they're not just talking about the humans being all connected. They're talking about the chair being connected and the, the air being connected and the tree being connected, everything being connected. Because when you feel physically, your awareness touches and taps into that space between all things. And you can feel that there literally is no separation because you're feeling the, the connection, which is like all pervasive through everything. Think of it all as like a sponge. Think of everything as kind of like holy, like a sponge. And if you put a sponge in water, the water goes into all the nooks and crannies, right? 
That water is the space that I was feeling, the space between all things, to the point that afterwards, hopefully this is interesting, and I am getting to the meditations in a second, but it's really fun for me to be able to share this experience with you as well. To the point afterwards, days later, when I was reflecting on that experience and what that meant to me and what that really meant about the universe, as I now understood it more than ever before, it was A, those enlightened people, he said, that's their connectedness, their awareness shifts Two, the connectedness of all things in what seems to be, based on his book and his description of his experience and other potentially enlightened people as well, is that they have that connection. They feel that source connectedness, quantum fieldness that I felt on that bed potentially all the time as far as I know it from what he's saying in that statement I just read to you, which of course is like having a full body orgasm all the time. You're like, oh my God, what a relief. I'm not separate from anything. And he always says, it's only the mind that sees the separateness. It's only the mind that perceives the disassociation between all things and thinks that it needs to be protected. It needs to be feared. Well, of course, like it can't feel the connectedness of all things. So it would feel scared and afraid of other things in the field. But once you're feeling connectedness with everything, what more could you possibly need in that physical sensation of your connectedness to everything? So days later, I'm thinking about this. I'm in London. I'm looking down the street outside. And it was so funny because it felt at that point, thinking about how that feeling felt of really, it's not that everything was solid, but you know, that feeling was so complete. Let's look at it that way. It's not solid, like the air is hard now, but just everything was completely felt. Well, let's like think of that feeling like water. I actually had a hard time keeping my eyes open for a brief moment because I was just tripping out thinking about how what I was looking into, just like if I was underwater, it's not that there's water when I open my eyes and we walk around thinking there's nothing there, that we're walking around an empty space and we have a ground, we have the earth, we have buildings and structures. Even though we know there's like vapor and oxygen and other components in that air, We can see clouds and raindrops, like stuff goes through that air. It just kind of feels empty. But when I felt the feeling of what that emptiness felt like, it was all of a sudden super weird to keep my eyes open because I kind of felt like all of a sudden I felt underwater because I remembered that connectedness felt like there was something there too. So anyways, really fun, beautiful experiences that gave me what I believe to be a taste, some enlightened mints that gave me the taste of going beyond the mind and going beyond the body. Now let's do this for you too. Now, what I've realized only literally 20 minutes before recording this with you is that the two things that I have been doing lately in all of this work when people ask do I meditate anymore, there are two things I do and each one brings me to one of those enlightenment experiences. Now you can do both. I haven't even thought about doing that myself. So you could feel free to combine these or just focus on one or the other. Up until this, literally just saying that, I've only focused on one of these or the other, but both are useful and powerful and you can do them as long or as little as you like. I don't care and only do them if they're fun, but here they are. Number one is the stare at my eyelids meditation. Now, I used to say that to people like when they said, what did you do during this like phase that you were just in? And I said, yeah, I just stared at my eyelids a lot. (laughs) And then everyone was like, kind of like was like, oh, that's a horrible thing. Like Jess was super depressed. She's just sitting there staring at her eyelids all the time. And the truth was I wasn't upset about staring at the eyelids. That was where I gravitated towards. And why did I gravitate towards staring at my eyelids? 
because you see stuff there. <laughs> People think, oh my God, that's horrible. Like if I called it something else, they'd be maybe more interested. But let me describe this to you. So do it right now. Try this right now. Close your eyes and look at your eyelids with your eyes closed. What do you see? When I asked this on a recent Instagram Live, people said, you know, I see dots, I see bands of light, I see lava light colors. Someone said psychedelic, you know. You can see stuff there. It's not necessarily total darkness. Like, be really subtle. Look at the subtleties of what you're seeing. Sure, we can call that blackness, we can call that darkness. But odds are, especially if you're in a bright space, and then you close your eyes, you'll at least even see kind of like the outline of where light was right before you had your eyes closed. Like right before you closed your eyes, if you saw a bright rectangle of light, odds are you might see that light area turn into a rectangle that's purple or something like that. It'll kind of still be the, the old shadow of what the light just was. Okay, so you're looking at the photons that are emitted in front of your eyeballs. Okay, I use that as away, a barometer, staring at that light effect or colors or bands or patterns, whatever you're seeing in front of you is totally fine. But I use that subtle variation that I see as a way to meditate. Now, some people like to breathe in and out and just observe the breath. If that makes you happy, go do that. But for me, for some reason, that is not what makes me happy. But staring at this color, I like. The reason I like it is twofold. One, I notice that the longer I notice the colors, the more things tend to change. So the subtlety, the colors, the variation, the bands, the patterns, whatever it is, if I keep staring at it for a while, like over a minute or two or three, things, if I'm able to stay focused on it, tend to change. So I get to kind of watch it almost like a video game. I get to have new little pictures show. It's not really pictures. Like I'm not seeing pineal gland activation. Like I'm now a jaguar is leaping across the screen of my eyes. No, I mean, you might get that and that's awesome. And that'd be even more fun. I would be doing it even more if I got those fun things. But what I like about it is that it changes. And sometimes the colors go in and out like the lava lamp or sometimes the patterns change. But either way, when I'm doing that, it takes all of my attention, all of my awareness to stay focused on that very subtle pattern and texture in my eyes. And I notice that when my mind starts like revving up and it starts having thoughts, it gets harder to focus on the subtleties of the light in front of me. So I kind of think of my awareness as teeter-tottering forward into the eyelids and what I'm seeing in the screen, if you will, and backwards into my gray matter behind me in the brain. So the way I experience this is that if I look forward, I'm kind of leaning in and I'm leaning to the lights and I need my full awareness just to observe it. The idea is not to have thoughts about it, but just to observe it and enjoy it for what it is. But if my mind gets too active, then I notice that I stop paying attention to the lights or the colors or whatever I'm seeing. And I start getting kind of dragged backwards in the mind. So I kind of go, am I in the mind right now or am I seeing the lights? Because I can have one or two thoughts and still stay focused on the lights. But if I get three, four, five thoughts and it gets too active, I can't see the lights anymore. So as I look at those little colors or specks or dots, whatever you're seeing too, I know 
there's not a lot of mind activity, thought activity going on. But if I get dragged into the mind, then I stop seeing it. For me, at least, this is a really enjoyable way that I have found for one second, one breath, or five minutes, 20 minutes, whatever I feel like doing it for. That's a really beautiful way for me to have a great barometer of whether I'm in the mind or not. Now, after this experience, I can't promise you you're going to stop your mind and it's going to turn off like it did for me in the cafe. I can't promise that. Of course, you can try doing the writing exercise I shared earlier and see if that is a similar gateway for yourself as well. But either way, this is an enlightenment, if you will. If you spend a few minutes, a few breaths doing this, you're tasting what it feels like to not have the mind activated because you're in the observation awareness mode and it takes a lot of attention to focus, awareness to focus, consciousness to focus on those subtle lights. If you're seeing everything in the room, it's easier to get dragged into the mind, but to stay focused on that subtle, subtle pattern and texture, that's harder to do while splitting your energy or your awareness rather, let's not call it energy, let's call it awareness in both places. It's easier to be in your mind to look around the room with your eyes open and not notice that you're thinking because we're so used to doing that all the time, that's how we live. But when we close the eyes, we are not used to looking at those subtle textures and patterns. That's when we can realize which mode we're in. Are we in the eye color observation mode or are we in the mind thinking mode? Okay, so that's enlightenment number one to help you kind of tap into that no mind state for as long or little as you like. There you go. Now number two, which makes me really excited because once I really wanted to go beyond the mind, I started to wonder, well, what the heck is beyond the mind? If you're not living from the mind, like what's going on? What's our life experience like? And it becomes much more visceral, much more physical to a degree, but also that tapping into that, like he said, that's the connectedness with source is the state we call enlightenment. So it's not just the sensuality, which is a huge aspect of it, to touch, to taste, to feel, and to have all of our awareness more focused on that than thought. That's a really beautiful state, an amplification of these states that are currently pretty dulled when we're more thinking than we are feeling, tasting, touching. So that's cool. But here's the thing. I have no idea how to like even make myself re-enter, re-emerge to that full feeling of the quantum field. But I do believe that's more like the all-pervasive permanency of that state, I believe is actually something that is our consciousness's choice. The larger part of us, it's not trapped in the human mind, right? So the mind can't suddenly not be itself. It's like a dog trying to say, you know what? One day I'm just sick of being a dog. I'm not going to be a dog. Well, the dog's a dog. Like it's not going to not be a dog. The mind is the mind. It's not going to not be the mind. Trust me, my mind wanted to go so beyond itself so badly and stared at those eyelids so long and it never got itself beyond the mind. I could just stare at the lights or think that's kind of as far as I could get. But I do believe one day all of us in this life or the next or 17 lifetimes from now, who knows? But I do believe eventually we're going to hit that state, that evolutionary state of consciousness where we evolve to the feeling of the space between all things, where our awareness can feel that. And I don't think it's our human mind's job to make that happen, but it can be something we open up more into right now. And here's how I'd like you to try this. So this is called the tingles meditation. So we got stare at the eyelids meditation, look at those lights in the eyes closed, and we have the tingles meditation. Now, when I read Eckhart here, I read him say the words life or being or presence. What I write over top of that word, 
any of those words he's using because he uses them interchangeably so he doesn't keep repeating himself too much even though it's a very repetitive book because it's very simple states he's trying to describe in many ways. I feel that what the physical experience of what he's trying to describe is I can feel it in my fingertips. So right now you can do this as well. Right now, put your hands on your lap facing upwards. So let your hands rest on your lap facing up. Close your eyes, it's a little easier. When you close your eyes, breathe out. It's kind of clear a little bit of that mind stuff. And feel your fingertips. What do you feel, if anything? Now when I ask people this, some people will kind of feel this right away and others it takes a little bit more time. So everyone's at a different place in this, which is totally fine. But I'm gonna have a tip for those that aren't feeling too much right now this way. I've got a tip for you, which will help amplify this feeling and effect. But right now, you may or may not feel too much. Some people say they feel blood pumping. Okay, cool, that's good. You're really that sensitive, awesome. But other people start to describe something a little different than the blood pumping. They start to describe what I call the tingles. Does anyone feel the tingles right now? In the fingertips, you know, it could be everywhere in your body, but like the strongest first place I notice it in many others is in the fingertips. Do you feel the tingles, the tingly sensation that's kind of in the fingertips and a little bit just outside? Maybe it's not really like a physical location. If I ask you to take a pen and point at your fingertip and say, you know, exactly where is that tingle? To me, it feels a little bit amorphous. It feels a little bit cloudy-like. It's like a little bit like more of a space than a specific dot. Does that make sense? A little area, but it's not even directly just inside of the fingertips, but it's coming from the fingertips and maybe a little outside. All right, if you're not feeling too much and you're like, Jess, I don't get it, I'm not doing this right. Okay, don't worry. What I want you to do right now is rub your legs. Rub your legs with your palms right on top. Or you could rub your arms together on the sides of your arms. Rub your hands on your arms. Rub your hands on your legs. Rub your hands on something on your body. Now, put your hands up in your lap. Face them up again. See if you feel the tingles. See if it feels any different. Is it stronger? When I've started doing this with people, they start to say, oh yeah, I feel it even more now. Can you feel it more? Maybe you're really sensitive and you can feel it in your toes, you can feel it in your arms. You're like, Jess, I got my elbows tingling. I got the whole tingles all over the body. Great, keep feeling the whole body. Anywhere you can feel the tingles. But what I've noticed is if you don't feel too much of it right away, rubbing your body amplifies it. And you might just say, oh Jess, that's just adding friction. And I don't really know totally what's going on when I do this or anyone else, but this is just my physical experience of it. It amplifies that tingly sensation and it helps me understand what it feels like. And then once I have that feeling, I can start to direct my awareness, my consciousness to other parts of the body and see if I can subtly feel a more subtle sensation that's similar. So it's kind of interesting. If you just rub, I don't know, the table or a chair or something else that's, especially if it's smooth and not a living object. Now we could say everything has consciousness and maybe we'll get to the sensitivity where we feel, you know, the interconnectedness of everything and we rub everything and it all feels different because it, I'm sure it does. But I can tell you if you're just getting started at this and you're not feeling much tingles directly spontaneously, what's interesting is you might be also a little more skeptical about this whole like tingle thing. But if you rub a table or something else and you're not hypersensitive and like super far along in this, what I've noticed myself too is that if I rub the bed or I rub something else and I do the tingles, 
and I put my hands up in the palms and face them up, it's like kind of cuts the energy. So if I feel the legs, it amplifies my palms. And if I rub something that's not my living body, it tends to dull that sensation. Now you could try this with pets and kids and partners and all sorts of stuff. You could rub, you know, live and inanimate objects, see how it feels for you. But I notice the things that aren't alive tend to dull that sensation or things that are alive tend to amplify it. So that tangles is what Eckhart's calling chi in that page I just read. Let me reread you the page, okay? So if you take your attention deeply into the inner body, now inner body, what the heck is the inner body? The inner body, I believe, is he's talking about the tingles, the stuff we just rubbed and we felt, inner body, insert the word, the tingles. So let me tell you guys this in the way I would write over top of this page, okay? Let me translate this into the Just Lively speak for you. So it's Eckhart as told by Jess Lively, trying to explain this in a way we can understand this a little bit more. So if you take your attention, your awareness, deeply into the inner body, the tingles. So if you take your attention deeply into the tingles you're feeling in your fingertips (laughs) or anywhere else in your body, you may reach this point, the singularity where the world dissolves into the unmanifested, the quantum field, And the unmanifested quantum field takes on form as the energy stream of chi, which then becomes the world. This is the point of birth and death. Oh my gosh, guys. Can you just for a second realize these tingles? That's the point of birth and death. So in between my experience in Reiki, where I felt the space between all things and I felt the connectedness of my consciousness to it, in that, and then I've got a body and I've got a sitting on the bed and, you know, the instant went away. In between the feeling of connectedness to all things and the feeling of a bed and a chair and everything is different, in between the world of form and the unmanifested is this river stream of chi. I'm calling that the tingles to try to understand that. I'm not calling it the inner body. Like he's trying to describe it. I'm not giving him a hard time about it, but I just think for me, he's trying to describe a sensation. So for me to cut through my mind crap about this, to call it and label it a sensation like the tingles helps me understand it better. Because now what it really is doing is helping me feel it as he's saying it. So it's not about keeping it as a concept like the inner body. He says, you know, you've got your physical body, you have your inner body. He talks a lot about the inner body in the book. Rewrite over the word inner body, tingles, tingles, or I use the word life. Now, when I say life and I write life over any of those words, I'm not describing a concept of life. I'm talking, when I write the word life, life equals the word tingles to me. Because energy, just like pure energy, like we think of like, oh, we need energy to survive and we need like energies in, I think energy is a tricky word for us. I try to be careful about when I use the word energy because I don't want to get it confused with something like the calorie energy in a sandwich. Because the calorie energy, the energetic potential within a sandwich, which has calories in it, can we tend to think it keeps us alive. But he's not saying a sandwich keeps you alive. He's not saying that. He says the river of chi, the energy stream of chi, which then becomes the world. This is the point of birth and death. He's not calling it energy. He's saying it's the energy form of chi. So it's the chi that he's really describing here, not calorie type of energy or gasoline type of energy right? Those all have forms of energy in them, but you can't feed a sandwich to a dead person and keep them alive. So we got to differentiate when we think about the crude forms of energy like gasoline or sandwiches and all that stuff versus what he's saying. The bridge between life and death is not food. It's not an apple. It's not a sandwich. 
the bridge between life and death, as far as us eating the apple, let's put it that way, is the energy of cheat that tingles. The tingles is what's keeping you alive. That's what's making you alive. You can't feed a dead person a sandwich to keep them alive because the tingles went away. The tingles is really what is the bridge. That's the energy. And it's not a physical, it's not the heart pumping. It's not the blood pumping per se that the tingles are. That's the consciousness that you are streaming through and forth into this physical body. So this meditation that I'm describing sounds so simple, right? Just feel the tingles in your fingertips. Feel it. See if you can feel it in your toes. That's another nice area to start with. Then I've kind of gotten up to a pretty good feeling. I can get the whole kind of swelling, kind of swirling feeling around the tips all the way up to my wrists. I can get the whole palm feeling that way. And then starting to notice and bring the mind awareness, bring the awareness of my consciousness to, can I feel it in my forearms? Can I feel it? It's pretty hard right now for me personally to currently feel it on my face. That's not an area I've gotten very great at it in or even like things like my core, like my organs yet. Doesn't mean I won't, just means that right now for me, the hands and the feet are the strongest points of entry to that sensation. But what that's doing, he says, when you're doing that, that's so cool. Don't look at, oh, I didn't have Jess's Reiki experience, so I, you know, I'm not there yet. The bridge, he's saying, is between the physical form of you and the mind and all that, you know, stuff that we're struggling with and this transcendent enlightenment experience is the tingles, that stream of chi. And it's not like he's trying to make chi a big deal. He's just, someone asked in the book, is that the unmanifested? Is chi the unmanifested? And this was his answer to that question. But for me, when he goes on and on and on and on about the inner body, recognize what he's really saying in another way of saying it is the tingles, the inner body. He says that is the way into and like through the body, but it's not the physical body. He tries to make that really clear. And I think he does a great job with that. He says, it's not the physical body. It's the inner body. It's the part of you that keeps you alive and is the bridge between the unmanifested and the manifested. Even though I can't feel that tingly, well, it wasn't really tingly. I don't even know how, I just like felt the feeling of all things. He calls it stillness, silence. He has other words. He's trying to describe that quantum field, space between all things thing. Even though I'm not permanently there anymore, I haven't felt it again, I can still feel the tingles. And that is a way for me, again, to get out of the mind and into the body, but into the inner body, he's saying, not the physical body. Like being in the blood and the bones, that's kind of useful, but it's still in the world of form. And what he's trying to help us do is touch the bridge between form and not form. And that's the tingles. That's the part of you that when you have a dead person and you feed them a sandwich, that's not going to give them the tingles right? You can even sense when someone that's passed doesn't have the tingles in them. The animating life force, the G, isn't in them anymore. The tingles are gone. That's what you are as the bridge, or that's the bridge of who you are, your consciousness between the unmanifested and the manifested. And that tingles, he says, the inner body, he says, never, no matter what age you are, it never gets duller. That tingle sensation doesn't just because you're fingers get wrinklier doesn't mean that the sensation of the aliveness of you gets dulled. 
So that's kind of nice to know as we age. It's not about, you know, the the form, the physical form, the blood, the bones, all that stuff. We said it's not bad to feel that stuff. Cool. It's better than just being in the mind and not even in the body. But also, which part of the body are we in? Are we in the tingles that never die, never dull, never decay? Or are we in the body that does die, does decay, and does evolve into no form? Even, I guess, the tingles can kind of reemerge into the non-physical space between all things, right? But it's not dulling and it's not dying. The tingles doesn't die. So there you guys have it. As much or as little as you like, you can do these two things or try to do them together. Now I might try that myself. It might be a little bit much or maybe it'll take all of my attention, which will be a good thing because the more attention we're giving to the lights in front of our eyelids, because that's just taking us away from thought in the mind or into especially, especially into the tingles, into that bridge between the manifested and unmanifested, you can do this as much or as little as you like. You don't need any meditation app timer. Do it in the cafe. Do it on the toilet. Do it on the bus. Do it wherever you are. Just close your eyes and stare at those eyelids for a deep breath. A few breaths maybe. Do it for a minute. Do it for 20 minutes. Do it before you go to bed. Just stare at the lights in your eyelids. It takes time to focus on the subtle variations that you'll see. But they'll be there. They're photons. And likewise, you can do this with the subtle variations you'll feel in your body through the tingles. And again, if you have another practice you enjoy doing, by all means, add this or don't add this as well. Do what feels right for you. Do what feels fun. Do it as much or as little as you like and enjoy it and have fun. I love you very much. And I hope something wonderful happens to you today. 